we really do need to talk about what a regulated market is, what a licensed operator is, what standards they have to follow. The fact that there's not a single operator that has been found guilty of knowingly, willingly advertising to minors. That has not happened. I think that would be like job one right now. Welcome back to the Gaming News Canada show. And on behalf of Mark Silver, Mike Day, and everyone at Parley Media Group, we wish you nothing but great things as we navigate our way through the first week of 2024. I'm your host, Steve McAllister. Hopefully, everyone's had a chance to put up their feet, enjoy the holiday season with family and friends. Over the next 55 minutes or so, we'll ask our regular contributors, Amanda Brewer and Chris Abbott, for their thoughts on the biggest stories to watch in the Canadian gaming industry over the next 12 months. And we'll also maybe ask the two of them to get out their crystal balls and make a prognostication or two. First, let's start with the news this morning that reported in the in the newsletter, and that's the uh, the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario preparing a guidance document to help operators and other other industry stakeholders abide by the amendments to the advertising and marketing standards that are scheduled to take effect on February twenty eighth. As we also wrote and and um, through an email we we saw from the AGCO. It plans to have a final version of this guidance document ready by January 15th. Amanda, I think you've seen the AGCO correspondence. You may have even had a, a chance to take a look at the draft guidance document that the AGCO has put together so far. How, how much can you talk about it? Well, I mean, I think, you know, I, in our text exchange yesterday, um, Steve, I said that, you know, it dropping right before Christmas at almost five o'clock on what was that, the 21st, uh, was a little bit, you know, <laughs> I guess predictable, um, good time to leave something if you're not wanting a lot of people to contact you about it. But in all fairness, I think the AGCO did a really good job at listening to the feedback they got in their roundtables. Um, Paul and I were both fairly impressed with the level of detail that they added into the document. I know in one of the roundtables I sat on, one of the operators raised a concern about, you know, if they have as a company sponsored, for example, a soccer team or a football team here in the in Europe, and that company's logo appears on a jersey, and you know that game is televised, is that you know a violation of the new standards? So guidance specific to that has shown up um so i you know the agco has always been very clear they were not going back to change anything and this is evidence that they are sticking to that um i think there is a lot more help that has now been provided to operators if operators having reviewed this um, are still going to transgress then i'm just going to assume that they're not all that interested in following the regulations at this point because i think they're pretty clear out what's going to be acceptable and what's going to be a violation but they are also not there to hold their hands you know they are they are there to inform um you with you know the guidelines as best as possible and they would like operators to make the correct decisions based on their operating parameters and and responsible gambling and all the rest of it um you know paul and i did muse that this may have a cooling effect a little bit on the advertising but, you know, maybe not necessarily a bad thing. We've we've certainly had a very robust almost, you know, 20 months of sports betting advertising. 
Um, and maybe it's time for us to shift into a different kind of advertising for the industry. I think there should still be advertising. Um, when there's not advertising, it means that the black market has a chance to grab customers because they will still be advertising some in some way, shape or form. Um, but I think it's time for operators to go back to the drawing board with their ad agencies and just find a new way of offering their ads. It's not to say they can't put up any more advertising. It's not the end of it, um, but it's certainly moving the advertising in a different direction. Uh, Chris, would you agree with uh, Amanda's very succinct summary? Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, I haven't been as close to the um, to the conversations lately, but um, yeah, I think for me, I always felt that, you know, we were lacking, um, I don't know if guardrails or specifics, maybe instead of just, you know, with the, with the blanket, but we need to cut this out or we need to limit this. So uh, the fact that there's going to be a little more attention paid to some specific instances is good. I think everybody uh, has to has to take the time to reevaluate what they're doing. It might make them force them to be a little bit more creative instead of just slapping a celebrity or an athlete on something and saying, here we are. So um, overall, um, I'm sure it'll be good for, uh, for many operators. Hey, Amanda, this may be a silly question, but um, you know, we're, it's, it's obvious that there are, there are sports books and, and gaming companies that, that have spent a lot of money on marketing advertising campaigns in, in Ontario and, um, there are small operators that don't have those kinds of budgets. The, the, the kind of uh, amendments that the AGCO puts in place, does that, does that give those, the smaller fish an opportunity to maybe swim up a little closer to the, to the top? Uh, would that be true, Steve? Um, the cost of buying advertising isn't going to change just because you're swapping out Connor McDavid for an anonymous actor um, or because you're putting Austin Matthews in an RG commercial instead of a straight up you know endorsement commercial um so i think what's prohibitive is just the cost of it and that doesn't change because of these standards what i think smaller advertisers i mean i think you it, it's a bit it's a bigger question than just you know are their budgets going to suddenly become more equal or are their spending power become more equal the answer to that in my opinion is no but i think too if you're a smaller operator your goal shouldn't be to try to take market share away from the market leaders just through advertising alone. Um, we've talked about their opportunities through product, through customer service, through some you know kind of rewards program. I'm not saying a VIP program, but just a rewards program. There's different ways they can really delight and retain their customers. That has absolutely nothing to do with advertising. Right. Hey, Chris. To that point, if, given that you you and Amanda are both both uh, free agents right now in the industry like are there are there operators out there that you see that have done a, a really good job if you strip away that the advertising and and marketing have, have have been smart about about recruiting customers and, and retaining them with with different uh you know different forms of communication um i think it's hard to tell because one of the things that you mentioned in the newsletter is that you know Nobody's super forthcoming about their actual numbers or anything, and maybe nor should they be. A lot of that is private information, so it's hard to tell who's who's you know doing a cost-effective job or you know a really good balance sheet job of of doing these. From a user myself, there's some brands that I think are um, that are. I'll, I'll use a brand like uh, a brand like Bet Rivers for example. I mean, I have no affiliation with them. I don't know the people who work there. Nothing like that. But just as a user of their product, uh, I think, you know, I would I would classify them as down a tier from, 
you know, the spenders, uh, the MGMs and the 365s of the world. And I think they do a good job on product, um, just with the depth of what they offer. Um, their odds are good. Uh, so that's that's a brand that stood out to me. And I think if you're, a, you know, kind of a second tier, and maybe you're not, don't consider yourself a second tier operator in other states or countries, but maybe you happen to be in Ontario because the competition is so robust. I think, you know, the, the brands that have the foresight to realize where they are, and not spend themselves into trouble uh, trying to compete, you know, for for that you know twenty percent market share that some of the top uh, players would have. Um, then, then I think that's the smart strategy here. Hey, Amanda, you want to add to that? I agree with what what Chris had to say. It's you know it, it's it's not a new topic for us, and yeah, totally you know one hundred percent. You know the whole the whole point of Ontario. My hope had been that there would be different shapes and sizes. I've see, I say this quite often of operators in the market because not one will appeal to all customers in this market. Customers will be looking for different things. Their level of comfort will be different with different features. You know the types of games they want to play. Maybe one operator will will have available and another one won't. So you know the hope has always been that you're not going to see the same big five brands that are in every state south of the border, the ones that are in Ontario, they are here, but the hope is you're going to introduce a whole bunch of other operators that will be smaller, maybe have more niche product or niche services, but you know, they will have a really healthy customer base that enjoys playing with them because they're not looking for what, and I'm just going to pick on that three, six, five and FanDuel just because they're two of the bigger brands in the market. Um, but, you know, they're not maybe looking for what those those books offer. Maybe, you know, they're looking for something that's less sports-focused and more casino-focused or less, you know, sports-focused and more esports-focused. Right. So, you know, the whole, the whole hope for Ontario is even as my prediction being we're going to start shedding some operators this year, we still have a really nice variety of different shapes and sizes because one size does not fit all here. Uh, when Karen Schnarr replaced Tom Mungham as uh, the CEO of, of the uh, AGCO back in September, uh, Amanda, I, both you and Paul and, and others I spoke to mentioned this was a chance for the AGCO to kind of reset the button in terms of the, the collaboration and consultation between operators and, and the commission. And, uh, you know, we had Paul on the podcast before Christmas and he, he talked about the fact that, that he'd already seen a bit of a bit of a sea change uh, along those lines. And I also just wonder the fact that, you know, that Ben Valido and Brent McCurdy and Dave Phillips have been quite involved in this process with with the amended standards. Um, if again, there's just there's just that spirit of cooperation that maybe seemed to go away for for a period in t- 2023. So, is that my crystal ball that you're asking me to bring out right well, now? Well, <laughs> I think that would, that 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 could be yeah, part crystal ball and part uh, looking looking back at the uh, at the AGCO since Karen's moved into that CEO's chair. Yeah, well, Karen, Karen has you know I, I don't even think it's been three months yet. Um, so certainly you you know I I do see. Um, I do see her impact on the guidance that came back to us. Um, the fact those roundtables were organized, uh, and there is so much reflected back in that guidance that came out at the roundtables. Um, but I, I do think that Karen is probably engaging in the same type of um, 
up, you know, same type of activities that like Paul Burns is for the Canadian Gaming Association. It's, you know, your 2024 planning and, you know, what are the key objectives that you want to achieve and how are you going to get there? So I still think that these are early days for Karen. I think based on what I've seen so far, um, she's doing and saying all the right things. So I think that this will be a really great year for the industry, the operators and, you know, the people who who report on it to really get an idea of what the AGCO will look like under her leadership. Hey, man, just a little bit more in the guidance document. And, and again, uh, you know, we I guess we're uh, as we should be focused on the operators. But obviously, we've seen other other organizations that have had input into the process here, whether it's uh, associations like CAMH, uh, sports leagues and organizations and and. Uh, I assume suppliers have had their say as well. Um, this document has come out. Is it, does that include does that include input from those parties from from people who would have submitted briefs to the commission back back in April when they announced the original amendments? Yeah, that's a really good question, uh, Steve. Um, I I don't know is my honest answer. Um, I have uh, no sort of. I have no relationships with those types of organizations. Uh, I just do on the operator side and the supplier side. Um, but I know that there would have been an opportunity to um, submit written uh, documents to them. I don't believe that the roundtables were hosted for people that weren't directly operating in the industry that weren't directly advertising in the industry. Um, but I know that there has been, especially in the first round, uh, everyone and anyone was invited to submit, um, submit documentation directly to the AGCO. And I do know that that was certainly reviewed and taken into consideration. As you recall, there was quite a big gap between the standards coming out and then these roundtables and the guidance. So that did take a period of of several months and my understanding it was based on the volume of submissions and the AGCO's determination to go through all of it so hey Chris if you've got a bit of a background over the years in the gambling industry dealing with with athletes and, and brand ambassadors and those kinds of, of partnerships some um, what the AGCO proposing has really limits athletes celebrities and I guess the influence mainly to doing responsible gambling messaging like that that'll be allowed under the new uh, the new rules and regulations like do you see any benefit for both parties to 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 be involved in that like would it be good for a, for the brand of an athlete to to involve themselves in RG messaging and, and retain a partnership or for a sports book to reach out to an athlete to to do that kind of messaging uh, so yeah, I think it's the best for the athlete. It's the best part of the messaging. I, I think there's there's an inherent conflict when it comes to an athlete who you can then turn around and bet on to do or not do something to be representing the place where you are doing the betting. I, I think um, I think there's an inherent conflict there. So I think the RG messaging is is certainly um, the best for the athlete's brand. Um, the reality of it is for the operators, I think that it's a big ticket and most would not want to spend the money to have them on the roster um, for RG messaging versus player acquisition. That's, that's kind of the high level look um, from it. I will, I will give credit to um, Andre DeGrasse and his management team who I worked with a couple of years back. 
Um, that was all supposed to be a, an RG play, um, getting him on board um, back in the cool bet days, um, just because, you know, he's cool, stay cool was their, um, was their tagline. That was the whole play there. So I think it depends on the fit. Um, and it depends on the athlete and it depends on their personal brand if it could work for you well or not. I mean, um, just thinking off the top of my head, like I would love to see like a John McEnroe do a responsible gaming in this kind of ironic kind of thing, just, you know, because he was such a hot-headed athlete. But then again, I don't know who John McEnroe is appealing to if you're uh, if you're doing that these days. But uh, just thinking back to the way he was as a player and maybe he could be reformed and it'd be a good RG fit. But that's just my creative brain um, flying off uh, with that right now. So I, I do think the, the situation is different. You know, to have um, a Connor McDavid or uh, or an Austin Matthews, I think I think they're they're probably better suited away from gambling messaging either way because I, I think especially with the active players, um, it, it's it's a it's kind of a mixed message. Yeah, I just wonder, Amanda, and again, just thinking out loud here, if you, especially as we enter an Olympic uh, an Olympic year with the Summer Olympics in Paris uh, coming up in uh, in August, I believe. Uh, again, it's, it's as we the three of us know it, it's tough for it's tough for Olympic athletes in this country to get to get endorsement deals. Match fixing is is a bit of a controversial topic, although we've seen no examples of it here in Canada since the regulated marketplace opened in Ontario. Um, Amanda, would, do you see would it make sense for for a marketing agent who represents a Canadian Olympian to to reach out to a sportsbook and say, hey, I you know I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to lead a responsible gambling messaging campaign around the around the Paris Olympics. I don't see why not. They are as eligible as a hockey player for RG to be featured in RG uh, ads for sports books. And I think Canada always has a really great story to tell with our athletes. Um, I think it really just comes down to from a personality wise you know culture wise if that's a good fit for that particular athlete if also the sport makes sense um synchronized swimming maybe not so much um you know tennis has you know a reputation of being internationally not here in canada as you said steve but certainly over in europe um one of the sports with the highest number of alerts for match fixing but there could be others that you know lend themselves and and you know the athlete feels very comfortable doing those kinds of ads. Um, so we'll have to see if some sports books and some, you know, managers for Olympic athletes are paying attention to this podcast and decide to, uh, you know, take advantage of, you know, what might be a good opportunity for, for both sides. Yeah. And to your point, Amanda, about tennis, uh, as we, as we included in the, uh, newsletter today for our paid subscribers, the international tennis integrity agency is, has, um, found four officials uh, guilty of, of sports betting related corruption so they they have uh, they have been banned and and again we've seemed to have seen a lot of those cases in the last two or three months it, it just feels like the ITIA is putting out a release every week that uh, the, it, it tends to be officials that are getting banned not not so much players but we know it is an issue in tennis because of those not necessarily at the ATP and WTA tier one tournament levels but with those challengers and satellites so those, those tier two three and, and four uh four tournaments um chris or amanda i guess chris any last thoughts on on the agco guidance and and on the on the amount of rule changes 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing for me, the, the more time I spend thinking about it and the more time I spend around the younger members of my family who are, you know, in, in junior high school and, and high school, they're seeing these ads and these guys are their heroes. And I think it makes sense. Um, and I don't have a dog in the fight right now. And I'm, I'm happy to, you know, I'm sure there's brands that feel one way, brands that feel the other way. But I think from a pure societal perspective, I think it makes sense to limit this. There's plenty of ways to advertise um, outside of, of using um, people who may specifically appeal to minors. You know, when it comes to former retired athletes, does Mike Vernon or Chris Pronger appeal to any minors today? I don't, I don't really think they do. So I, I think, you know, a blanket approach and just and just limiting it is, you know, it's a safe way to approach it. Um, but I would have, you know, for me, I would like to see it restricted to current athletes, but uh, then you're splitting hairs and then you have to, you have to adjudicate. So, yeah, I think it's good. Last word to you, Amanda, on this one. I am really looking forward to seeing what uh, the fall advertising market looks like in Ontario. I'm hoping that we have some really clever, interesting ads that come out. So I'm actually going to pop some popcorn and sit in my armchair and start surfing, you know, TSN and Sportsnet and seeing what I see. <laughs> All right. I guess the, the one thing we didn't address is kind of the, the, the bit of that elephant in the room that Nick Salski likes to talk about a lot. And, and that's, again, the... Uh, you know the, the non-licensed operators who are who are being allowed to to advertise, and again, I think Amanda, that's that's a separate issue and and one that the AGCO that that kind of goes beyond uh, the purview of, of of these current rule changes, I guess. Well, you know, if you want to segue into 2024, we have a handful of what I would call hangover issues from the market launching, um, changing the .NET legislation or regulations in the province, uh, just going in to amend it because before .NET was the only form of legal advertising an operator could could have in the market. Now, you know, it would make sense to say, you know, let's let's ban it because it's certainly a loophole that black market operators are using to advertise their products and services. Our own great public broadcaster, uh, I think only in the last couple months, decided not to carry right. .NET advertising. So you can see how ubiquitous um, it's been. The other thing is uh, liquidity. So you've had the guys from DFS on. It's been a while. But um, when Ontario launched, they made a decision to ring fence the province so for casino gaming and sports betting not a big deal but for games like poker or dfs where you require a large number volume of players who are at different levels um you know who are willing to play you know in the case of poker you know tables with different betting amounts um it really makes a big difference and poker is such a tiny tiny piece of the pie in ontario and you know the biggest operators DraftKings and FanDuel, pulled their dfs out so the hope is that we can kind of go back to the attorney general on those two very important issues. I know he'll be coming over to ICE, so maybe that'll be a time for some operators to approach him. But it would be really great if Ontario could sign MOUs with other licensed jurisdictions for liquidity and at least allow those products a chance to to compete on a more sort of level playing field. But yeah, the .NET advertising is certainly um, an issue also that we hope we can get the attorney general to address this year. Hey, Chris, just off that a little bit, it, 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 again, we, I think we've discussed this in the past here, but 
it, it does still surprise me to see media people or broadcasters, like again, to use your term, I guess it, it kind of splits hairs on what defines a journalist and what defines a broadcaster. But it still does kind of surprise me to see, I guess, media personalities, I call them, um, putting out pics on, on social media outlets. But I, I'd love to get love to get your thoughts on that. If you if you think that, uh, yeah, it is a bit of a red flag or or these people are free to do what they want to do to make a few extra bucks. Yeah. I mean, I think generally most, most people who would, if you want to, we'll use the term influencer for, for, you know, lack of a catch all here. Uh, they, they, they want to get a piece of the pie as well. So I, you know, I don't begrudge any of that. Um, I to the point about, you know, um, free to play advertising. I think, you know, there's there's probably an easy easy quote unquote because nothing's easy, but a way to change the the wording or the attitude around um, you know allowing that. I mean, the brand is the brand, right? And whether the URL is different and doesn't lead you to a to a real money gaming site, I mean, that's the that's the crux of the issue. And I, and I see Toby Lang is here, and I know you know with Toby's team with Bell back in the day, it's very very hard to get a, a free to play site cleared for for advertising even though everyone knows at the end of the day it's what it is and it is a loophole so you know ultimately i think if we're going to have a regulated market then then we should close those loopholes um but you know that's that's not something that's going to happen overnight it'll take the cooperation uh, certainly of the broadcasters and and these guys are, have a mandate to accept advertising dollars as well so um you know it's it's uh it's a long long process but hopefully we'll we'll see that happen and as for the folks that are you know making some side money and whether they're promoting you know bodog or batano or sports interaction or whoever it is be they regulated or unregulated um you know i don't begrudge anybody for for taking a contract to make a few extra dollars yeah. And I would recommend, uh, we, we didn't get a chance to include it in this morning's newsletter, but we'll certainly include it in the, the media musing section uh, next uh, next week. And that's a, a piece by Mike Mazzeo of Legal Sports Report that uh, popped up yesterday on, uh, you, know, you know, there have been some some coverage in the U.S., especially with the launch of ESPN bet that there's going to be some kind of a sports betting scandal uh, in the not too distant future that, that involves a, a sports journalist and uh, again, I guess I'm maybe a bit of a purist when it comes to the, the, the sports media uh, industry. That does seem a bit far-fetched to me. But on the other hand, uh, when you when you have insiders providing information, and one one story that Mazeo pointed out was the uh, you know the Shohei Otani rumblings around the holidays, which I, I guess uh, obviously had a, a substantial impact on on sports books and. Uh, again, Chris, does that does that concern you? Like, do you? And again, I, I don't think it's fair to, to pile on ESPN bad here. I mean, as you know, in the U.S., we've had regulated sports betting for five five going on six six years now. But um, is there is there danger be, because of, of you know sports media and the kind of reporting that goes on today that there could be some kind of a scandal? Well, I almost bought season tickets because of the Shohei Otani news, and that's not sports betting related at all. I think there's an integrity piece that journalists should uh, abide by, and then us as um, consumers of the reporting need to decide who we trust and don't trust and, and where they get placed on a pedestal. But um, that's my own personal near-failing aside. I, I didn't pull the trigger <laughs> on that, and I'm glad I didn't. Um, but anyhow... Um, 
Yeah, I think you, you you went down the path there, Steve. We've had regulated betting in the U.S. for, you know, half a decade now and here in Ontario for a couple of years. But, um, you know, betting has been going on forever. Influence of um, officials, of players, of journalists, of what have you has been going on for decades. So, sure, maybe there's more of an integrity piece. And if the leagues are in bed with the broadcasters and a journalist who's... who's um, you know, part of that, and now the broadcasters operate betting sites, there's a little more scrutiny, sure, but I don't think that it's something, we shouldn't be naive to think that that there hasn't been um, nefarious operations in terms of sports betting integrity for a long, long time. In fact, you know, we've come so far with the International Betting Integrity Association, with U.S. Integrity, that I don't think we've ever been in a better place to identify these things quickly and move to move to limit them. There's always going to be someone looking to get ahead of your system, but I think we're we're really doing a, a much better job now with regulation to to kind of squash those things before they can get out of control. I think you know if if, if you've watched the documentary on Netflix about the Arizona State basketball team, um, you know right. that likely would not have proliferated to the degree that it did if it was happening in today's digital world. So. Um, yeah, it's always something to be cognizant of, but I don't think that we should be pinning things on journalists uh, for influencing sports betting markets. People have to people have to recognize on their own what they're what they're staking there. A word from our sponsor. Hey there, sports fans! Are you looking for fresh and fun takes on the hottest topics in Canadian sports? Well, we've got just what you need. Introducing Homestand Sports today. Your go-to daily sports newsletter, bringing you the Canadian angle on the hottest NHL, NBA, footy stories, and more right to your inbox. But wait, there's more. Homestand Sports isn't just another text-heavy newsletter. Every story has its own video featuring our talented hosts like me, Albert Vartanian, giving you a newsletter experience like never before. And did I mention it's a free subscription? Subscribe now at homestand.ca. Now back to the show. Let's keep looking ahead to, to 2024, and let's start with, uh, with with the number one item. And again, these were kind of random thoughts as I wrote the newsletter yesterday afternoon, so there's there, it's not in order of importance that I, I kind of outline these storylines. But obviously, we've talked about consolidation and maybe and the market shrinking in Ontario. That that's something that we've we've discussed pretty much since day day one is this marketplace open and i don't want to get into names because i think it's it's unfair there's there's always lots of lots of rumors out there and and they tend to be only only that but uh maybe start with you amanda i mean just how much consolidation or shrinkage could we see in ontario this year again i think we're at 40 47 operators uh with with unibet leaving at, at some point like what, what kind of numbers could you foresee happening this year yeah, my former employer will be leaving at the end of March. So I think um, what will happen is, unlike CoolBet, and Chris can speak to that more than I can, that kind of just did a, a <laughs> an Irish exit out of the market, um, you know, there will probably be operators that will choose not to renew their licenses um, as a means of, of discontinuing their activity here. I personally feel that half of where we are now would be the appropriate number of operators in the market. Um, as I said, I, I don't want Ontario just to be, you know, the big five or six that you see in every state south of the border. Um, I'd like some of the smaller and, and mid-sized operators to be able to be successful here. Um, I do strongly believe it, it, it will go the way that our cannabis industry did 
Um, and there has to be a right sizing of the market. And I think that too many will find that, you know, without the process improvements in place, the automated AML, you know, batch reporting, centralized self-exclusion, you know, there's no financial reporting tool. There's, there's a lot of heavy lifting you have to do to stay in this, this market, not just in terms of the mandatory expenses, but also the teams, the employees that operators have to hire to be able to uh, work, you know, and meet the regulations and file the paperwork and upload the files and all the rest of it. They have bigger teams servicing Ontario than they do in any, almost any other market around the world. So I think for smaller operators, unfortunately, that's, that is going to be a challenge that may prove to be insurmountable. Now I have no inside knowledge of who may or may not be choosing to not renew a license or leave the market. But I, I can't see us continuing with this many operators in for much longer. I, I just think the market will not be able to bear that just in terms of, as I said, just the, the, the sheer amount of effort and cost it takes to be compliant in Ontario. Yeah, Chris? Yeah, I think we're already starting to see, you know, there's, without again, without naming anyone, there's brands that were very, very heavily invested in TV advertising last year that we're not really seeing around um, sports broadcasts this year. And and that's the easiest thing to cut because that's generally going to be, you know, 40 to 50% of your marketing budget if you're, if you're trying to advertise on television here in Canada. So we've seen a pullback there. So there's, there's clearly plenty of brands that are trying to lim- limit or cut their spending um, to bring it more in line with what they're bringing in. But of course, when you do limit advertising, you also limit your acquisition. Um, so maybe a slow bleed for some, uh, and we'll we'll see how it goes. At the same time, I know of a handful of other operators who are applying for a license. So you know, it's we'll see some transition in and out. Um, you know, all the big players are pretty much already in, and I think those that are coming in now, um, you know, I, I've done a little bit of consulting work over the last few months, and the first thing I say is be reasonable about your expectations. Don't expect to come in and knock you know, the, the kings off the mountain. Uh, don't expect maybe to have the same market share you have in other jurisdictions in the world. But if you can come and, and you know, present a reasonable business case, then you can you can stay afloat here because, you know, the tax and the um, the fee are, they're okay. You can, you can get by with those even if you're a, a smaller, medium-sized operator. And uh, I think just having the right expectations and not coming in with, with um, you know, overblown marketing budgets uh, and get yourself in trouble out of the gate. Yeah, actually, I'm just, as we're speaking, I'm on the AGCO's search for issued licenses. And there actually, there's an operator, the Six Gaming, who came in on the 8th of, de- uh, the 8th, um, of December. Uh, with I've never heard of the Six Gaming, um, so there's two new um, casino websites, I guess, that have launched. So exactly what Chris said, like you're coming in at this stage in the game, unless you're offering product that no one's ever seen before, um, you're trying to now claw market share away from operators who've been here for almost two years. So I think that's a real uphill battle. And as long as you understand that and you are prepared because the same costs that I've just described for those other operators, the same compliance expectations are there. And you're basically now trying to take market share away from not just the really big, really well entrenched, really well you know, financed guys, but like everyone else as well. So yeah, good luck. (laughs) 
Amanda and Chris, like we both, we both tend to focus heavily on sports betting um, in in the newsletter and and uh, in this forum. And I, I've tried to uh, I've tried to be a little more cognizant of the of the role that online casino plays. And we certainly saw that when IGO broke out their their numbers from our thought and spoke at the uh, Global Gaming Expo back in October and presented the latest numbers, which showed uh, you know the online casino uh, handle. Uh, looms largely over over sports betting i, I guess amanda it, it does feel like there is kind of an opportunity that that certain companies can fill a niche that that they're uh again it, it it's, it's a bit of inside baseball here but for someone like yourself but if you're someone who doesn't have a sports betting product or just kind of dabbles in sports betting that you can still kind of find a niche in this market as an online casino operator yeah, absolutely. And we've seen, you know, quarter after quarter in the IGO numbers that casino far outstrips any other form of gaming in this province. So I think that, you know, the way that the television audience is skewed and the television advertising is skewed, it is really fully on sports. There's a bit of casino that we see, but it's really mostly on sports or it's at least showing up on sports channels. Um, but we do know that there are is a lot, you know, there are a lot of people who are coming onto these sites purely just for the casino, whether it's slots, whether it's live dealer table games. Um, but it seems to be the product that this this market really enjoys the most. Hey, Chris, in, in terms of player habits, I mean, we, with sports betting, it, it does seem like like players will have four or five different sports books, so they so good, they can check the odds and kind of play play against the what the uh, the odds makers are, are setting out but is it kind of the same sort of habits with with online casino players where they they might have four or five apps because they like they like certain games or or uh, there's other factors at play with with uh, with the way they they do that online gaming yeah I mean I think the reality is for casino players there's a lot more of um, a belief in luck right and a lot more gamblers fallacy so you might see multiple accounts because, well, account A is not lucky anymore. Account B is lucky um, until the luck runs out there and you try another account, another account. Um, so I think that's that's more of what you see there because ultimately, and not not every single game, but ultimately most casino games are are available on any site that, that you might want to play them on, right? Um, so it's a little bit different in that regard. And I think then for the casino player, it comes down to bonuses, um, are you considered to be, you know, in the rewards program, the VIP program? Um, are you getting timely CRM communications? Are you able to get your money on and off the site quickly? Does it have fair um, rollover terms um, on on its bonuses, things like that? So back to the conversation about competing on product, it's a, it's a lot more on casino. You know, can I go in and search? Is there a search bar for the game that I want? Can I search by game provider or game studio? Um, does it offer um, an RTP percentage, which is the amount over you know a million or ten million spins that is returned to the player? Um, so there's there's lots of different things you can do to tweak your casino product to make it more appealing. Um, it's vastly different than sportsbook. Um, you know, one of the things I'll caution against. I mean, the the revenue percentages from casino are often much higher than sportsbook, and that makes sense. But one of the you know when you when we see 
you know, the amount of betting handle from the casino versus the sports book. And uh, remember that on $100 worth of deposit in the casino, you can have thousands and thousands of dollars of betting handle because you're you're recycling that. You know, put you put down $100 on the Maple Leafs game, that's a $100 bet. Right. So that's something else to remember when when people see those numbers that are released. Hey, I want to want to talk about the the potential for other provinces to to take the Ontario model or or, or offer regulated uh, regulated gambling and and um, Amanda, I think I remember talking to you a year ago um, when I attended the ICE conference. There was a panel on on Canada, and I remember uh, remember talking to you afterwards. I, I distinctly remember one guy. And I can't I can't remember who it was exactly now, but one person on this panel sitting up and saying that that uh, legal sports betting and or sorry regulated sports betting and gaming was gonna was coming to Alberta in in twenty twenty three, and I think you you kind of scoffed at at the notion at that time. And I, I got to admit, I mean, I'm, I'm really skeptical that, uh, that we will see regulated gambling in Alberta in, in 2024. I just, there's, there's nothing at all if that, that I've read or been privy to that, that would make anyone confident that that's going to be the case. I think the Daniel Smith government has, um, has a lot on its, uh, on its plate and, uh, regulated gambling doesn't seem to be a, a priority. And, um, again, someone mentioned to me, and so I want to give them credit because I did mention in the newsletter this morning that um, if you're really serious about setting up a regulated model, you you would do what Ontario did a couple of years ago and, and hire someone like Brigitte Sand to, to come in and kind of put the uh, put the pieces in place. But let's maybe just start, Amanda, and just thoughts on the possibility of Alberta getting a regulated industry here anytime soon. Uh, I think zero chances anytime soon. Uh, I, I I know that uh, Paul and Troy have been out there and had discussions. Um, I know in my conversations with them, we all agreed Brigitte would be great to go out and you know you know help um, in an advisory capacity as she did here in in Ontario. But the caution I always have is we have that uniquely Canadian construct called conduct and manage. And it means something different in every single province. And just because, you know, Ontario chose this model does not mean this model will work for any other province. On the regulation side, like the AGCO side, I, I do think that that can almost be a copy and paste. It's the IGO side that I think every province is going to have to figure out how that works for them and for whatever model that they, they are going to implement. Um, and that's where you know, for a lot of the provinces, the rubber will hit the road. You know, we've talked about how AGLC and Alberta can't be both the regulator and the operator. Um, you know, right. we won't we won't have operators being enthusiastic about coming into a market where the lottery corporation is also going to be overseeing the licenses um, and the awarding of licenses. Um, so there's still a lot of heavy lifting that has to be done in Alberta. I think it might be possible that we find out a little bit more about what they're thinking during 2024, but I would be pushing that out until 2025 at least. Um, you know, Ontario's model did not launch overnight either, uh, and it looked, you know, very precarious at some points that it was going to. Um, but, you know, you really need to have a government that has 
not the whole government dedicated, you know, and, and working on this, but you need to have a, a couple of people within government who are assigned this as their priority and who are steadfastly moving it forward, but certainly bringing in exterior outside experts um, like Birgit uh, is is a is a right move, um, and so yeah, I know that there will be a number of lobbyists who will be you know having frequent flights out to Edmonton in 2024, um, and we'll have to see you know maybe someone from the Alberta government will be coming over to ICE in a month's time as well. Um, so we'll just have to see what this this year brings. But I it, I, I cannot see it being the launch of Alberta's eye gaming market, not not at all. Hey, Chris, so just, uh, you know, pardon the bad pun here, but but British Columbia seems to be a better a better bet for me. And, and I, I, I say that just because as I wrote in a newsletter this morning, you have you do have this strong, uh, this strong existing gaming industry out there. And, and I mentioned GeoComply, which has been, you know, very vocal. Lindsay Slater was on the podcast before Christmas and talked about um you know they 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 would love to see regulated gambling in other other provinces and reference companies like Strive Gaming and uh, and uh, Fans Unite Entertainment and also it it just feels to me that BCLC is kind of a you know a, a strong entity of its own kind of like what we've seen in OLG where where the Ontario marketplace actually I think has has given OLG a boost and as, as we often have mentioned in the newsletter on the podcast it's kind of forced them to to up their up their game uh, especially when it comes to, to digital gaming. Did, Chris any thoughts on BC as a possibility? Well yeah, I mean everyone goes back and forth on on who may or may not be next and I think um, you know, to the best of my knowledge, BC has also, you know, begun the process of at least setting up that arm's length IGO type type situation as well for them. But, you know, it, it's it's something again that's going to take education and lobbying and um, prioritization inside government. And there's there's a whole lot going on politically in the country and, and in most provinces right now, you know, that is not really about regulated gaming like that's a you know it's off to the side for a whole lot of folks right now so i think uh you know we have to consider you know national and global factors as well when we when we consider the you know the idea of getting this off the ground and i think uh that's that's going to be one of the bigger things i i have to believe that provincial governments recognize the windfall of money that is coming in and and you know the recouping of you know the money that's flowing out through malta or curacao licenses uh, or or wherever else right now so i would hope that that is a given and i would hope that there's a push to to bring that money back on shore and there also has to be um, a willingness from the monopoly holder to to let that go. And, and I think it's been said in this place before that I've yet to find a monopoly that wanted to let go of their monopoly. Right. Amanda, any, any thoughts on, from you on BC? Uh, BC, I think, is, uh, you know, what did I say last year? Early signs of thawing. But again, it, it comes down to the political agenda in that province and whether or not there's a political appetite to not make it a top priority, but just to add it to the list of many priorities in the province. So 2024 may, may see some, you know, information coming out of the province. Um, but again, they've been, they've been really slow. Um, the lottery corporation, I, I think 
does quite well in BC. Um, and there hasn't been a lot of appetite to upset the apple cart there. But I mean, the thing everyone has to remember is Canada has been and continues to be a, a gray market for every other province but Ontario. And those operators are very well entrenched. Now, just you know, looking at the Ontario example, OLG is doing quite well against the other online operators that have come into the market. So there's no, you know, there's no evidence that any other lottery corporation would see its business fail. Um, but there's no other way to deal with those entrenched offshore operators right now than by opening up a very robust, you know, wide reaching, you know, licensing system, tethering, restricting any of those things means you're still dealing with, you know, operators in the market who refuse and will not come in to get licenses. So, you know, the hope is as, you know, more and more of them decide this becomes something that they want to deal with, they do adopt very open and broad licensing systems for them because you know as chris said it's not just about the money flowing in and out it's the player protections it's making sure that there is support available for players that need support i mean on the cga side we are getting more and more customers from outside of ontario writing in with issues with operators and i feel very badly for any of them who you know are dealing with operators down in curacao because the you know the most i can offer them are you know thoughts and prayers because right. you know best of luck trying to get your issue resolved with an operator who's decided to headquarter themselves down there so it's it's just you know there's really no other way at this point in time where we are now in 2024 there's really no other way for a provincial government to deal with this issue other than choosing you know the path that ontario has followed it doesn't necessarily have to be Ontario's model, but certainly it's it's the path to licensing and regulation. Hey, just quickly, both on uh, on Quebec and again, because you know, I think seven licensed operators in Ontario decided a year ago to to support the Quebec Online Gaming Coalition, and and we've we've had Natalie Bergeron on the on the show uh, several times last year, and and uh, th- that coalition has done uh done a lot of work to uh to try to uh try to make regulated gaming kind of top of mind with with the provincial government there which is dealing you know dealing with a lot of a lot of headaches right uh right now uh amanda just said quick thoughts on quebec i have zero thoughts on quebec i think that will be uh one of the ones that kind of digs its heels in for as long as as humanly possible so i think that's going to be very very slow moving yeah, Chris. It's funny that you use the term "dig uh, dig your heels in" because that's exactly what I was going to say there. Um, yeah, the government uh, in Quebec certainly doesn't mind uh, mind a scrap, and uh, you know you've got some big influences trying to come in from outside. So, um, is there a deal to be done? Maybe eventually, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to to give any guesses there. Hey, I do want to get into response, responsible gambling for for a few minutes. So we're getting close to the top of the the hour, and uh, you know it's an important topic. Uh, on the other hand, it, it, as I've said here, it sometimes does feel like it's a it's an, a term that gets thrown around uh, thrown around like nickels. And and I I think the question I'll ask, and Chris, I'll start with you on this. Like what? Like, what should be a priority with regards to responsible gambling in, uh, across the country in, in 2024? Like, what what are those issues or what are those, those things that should be addressed when it comes to RG? 
Um, sorry, do you mean from like an operator or? Um, yeah, I think yeah, whether, like, yeah, from an operator on personal thoughts, like what 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 do you think are priorities? Yeah, um, I think um, given kind of our financial landscape in Canada right now with inflation and interest rates and a lot of people struggling, um, I think we really need to hammer home the point that gambling isn't a way out of a financial. Um, I won't use the word crisis and plenty of people are in it, but if, if you've got a, a financial situation that is a little bit undesirable or unfamiliar to you, um, gambling is certainly not the way out of it. And plenty of the advertising makes gambling and casinos look glamorous. Um, you know, I, I, I see the ads that Responsible Gaming Council is doing. I think we need more of that um, to show the reality of the situation. You know, it should be entertainment. You should have a budget and not go beyond it. Um, you know, for example, for the regulated market in Ontario, really take, you know, push the deposit limit options and, and play time limit options that are out there um, because there's there's certainly a concern on my end. Um, we know that when, when times get tough, um, a lot of people will turn to, uh, you know, the sins or what have you. And, uh, and you can get yourself in trouble if you, if you overextend yourself, um, especially with gambling. So um, I think that's, that's kind of the messaging, that it's, it's not a solution. It's not a way out. It's got to be entertainment, and, it's, and you've got to have limits set around it. Yeah, well, well said, Chris. Amanda? Agreed, and that has always been one of the hallmarks of Ontario launching its market. Um, if you look at the regulations, if you look at both on the IGO and AGCO side, um, there has always been a, a lot of attention paid, um, and there's a lot for operators to have to keep in mind as they are offering their products and services in this market. I do think that part of the shift in sports betting advertising um, is needed, however, because I think like anything, you see it too often, you stop paying attention to it. Um, and I think that the, you know, the Connects Ontario is good. You know, you see it everywhere. It's great that the operators have, have all decided to, to, you know, direct people in need to the same place for, for, for help. But I think that, you know, it, it's just something now that is just, you know, quite possibly people's eyes just glaze over. So I'm hopeful that this switch will also mean that there's some thoughtfulness now being applied to RG advertising. The other thing to remember is uh, all operators on the IGO side are required to have an RG campaign in the market and they all have reports due. I believe it's the 5th of May. So in just a few months time. So they have a report that IGO send around. There are metrics that have to be filled out. Um, and they have to demonstrate a very dedicated effort to getting eyeballs on their RG um, messages. So for any operators that didn't have anything in the market before the end of last year, um, I would expect we're going to start to see a small flurry um, popping up because IGO didn't dictate which channel had to be used, which method of advertising had to be used. But definitely reports will be due to them uh, beginning of May. Yeah, I just want to, to to say one more thing on that whole um, responsible gaming piece is that uh, it's a term that gets thrown around. I'm I'm not sure if it's here or, or somewhere else where I've seen it discussed, but you know maybe maybe we need to to use some more you know varied terminology around the idea of of playing responsibly. I think unfortunately responsible gaming has become something for operators that is just like another check mark that they have to do to be compliant. Right. So I would I would certainly like to see. Um, you know, some more creativity, um, maybe some more starkness 
to to the potential uh, downfalls. And maybe operators aren't going to be so quick to do that, but that's why I think partnerships, um, you know, like with the Responsible Gaming Council is so important. Hey, I want to I, I want to get that one prognostication for for the year from both of you. But before we do that, I just uh, because Amanda and I were texting about this yesterday, you know, in terms of, of the media coverage. And again, with, this has been a hot button issue here. Um, I think within the industry, there's 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 a lot of really good reporting that the, and, and insight and opinion that gets done around this this industry. And. And it's, it's, there's too long a list of people to mention, but, you know, at the top, I think of guys like, like Steve Ruddick and Dustin Gauker and um, uh, Steve Bittenbender, uh, uh, Jessica Wellman, south of the border. And then obviously people like Jeff Zicodney at Play Canada and, and, and Dave, uh, Dave Briggs and the editorial team at, at Play Canada. I mean, there's, there's a wealth of information from, what I would call within the industry, and, and hopefully Gaming News Canada is, is filling that that niche as well. But Amanda, just in terms of, of mainstream media, and, and again, the coverage of this industry since Ontario Alliance regulated market two years ago has been, I would say, overwhelming, overwhelmingly uh, negative. Um, what 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 can be done to? Uh, and again, I think the frustration with people like yourself and, and Paul and potentially Chris is that. Um, there's there's a lack of knowledge among mainstream media when they're asked to to write to come in and write a story on the industry or they're or they're following the industry. What what would you like to see happen to to kind of change that narrative? So I'll just quote from uh, Ipsos uh, senior VP Sean Simpson, who presented this research at um, the CJ's two day player protection symposium in early December. And he said, one of the curious things that happened with that gaming is I don't think the public really understood what changed and there was no real education campaign around it. Due to that lack or a black hole or void of information about the province's regulatory framework, um, you know, there's a need to communicate and build more trust among Ontarians. So, you know, I go as the gatekeeper, you know, they're the ones that if you want to know who holds a license in this market, they're the ones who manage that. Um, I think there's really a need for both, you know, Martha Otten and Karen Schnarr to go out there and really, you know, beat that, you know, you know, beat that bush as, as hard as they can for a very sustained period. Because I think that our mainstream media, I'm not talking about our specialized industry media like Mark and Jeff and the rest, they they do understand this industry very well, but the mainstream media that continues to, you know, you know, you want me to tear my hair out, just, you know, look at CTV News or CBC News and their absolute willingness to go interview someone in, you know, the UK who's had a horrible experience and then say with absolute certainty and smugness that just because it happened in the UK, it's going to happen in Ontario. Um, so I think there really needs to be an education done of our mainstream media as well, because there's a lot of good that they've put in place in the regulations. And, you know, I keep going back to, there's not a single operator in the history of this market being open that has been violated for for transgressing the advertising or the RG standards like that in advertising. So, you know, we really do need to talk about what a regulated market is, what a licensed operator is, what standards they have to follow, you know, at the fact that there's not a single operator that has been found guilty of knowingly, willingly advertising to minors. That has not happened, you know, so... I, yeah, I think that would be like job one right now because that perception still exists out there. Right. Chris? 
And just to, to further that on the on the conversation about iGame in Ontario, you know, the, the the stipulation is that, you know, their logo is clearly displayed on, on your site, on advertising. Um, but again, to Amanda's point, once you get outside of the, the inner circle of those who understand what iGaming Ontario is, well, I think there's an opportunity there and whether the, the operators pay for it or it's out of whatever money they're already paying in, it would be for iGaming Ontario to, to have a little bit more of a, a public relations role. Um, you know, hey, if you see the iGaming Ontario logo, it means A, B, C, and D, right? You're protected from this. Your money is safe. It's, you know, all these things. Kind of kind of the way you can see, I think, back to the uh, Financial Deposit Insurance Corporation had uh, had some had some commercials around that a few years ago. So uh, something just to, to put the general consumer at a little more peace and help them understand what a, a regulated marketplace looks like. So... Um, you know, it's uh, it's not something that, that I've seen. Uh, maybe a little bit has been done, but I think it's an opportunity there as a wider group to um, to to do more. Uh, you know, because all the all the operators, one thing they do have in common is that they have that logo. Uh, so they're all part of a group, and, and maybe as a group we could we could speak a little more. Uh, let's finish quickly with uh, with just uh, uh, Chris. I'll start with you. Uh, just a, a pronostication, a prediction, or or something that our listeners should should keep tabs on uh, over the next twelve months. Anything at all? Yes. The Toronto Blue Jays will miss the playoffs. That's, that's <laughs> what I'm going to say. Um, so, did you say Maple Leafs, Chris? Maple Leafs? Is that what you said? <laughs> no, nah, they'll squeak in and lose in the first round. Come on, Amanda. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Um, I was so disappointed to hear Ross Atkins after all that come out and say, well, we're just going to be better with what we already have. It's like, oh, here we go again. But, um, yeah, when it comes to the industry, yeah, um, gosh, it's, it's hard to really guess what's going to happen. We'll see some brands move in. We'll see some brands move out. Um, yeah, I think I think uh, you alluded to it earlier is that we will see a little less advertising. This was in the newsletter, Steve, and, and maybe some of the problems that we've been discussing for the last hour are going to take care of themselves. Um, so, yeah, and then hopefully for anyone on the operator side listening, I'm going to predict that maybe advertising rates might come down a little bit in the second half of the year. Maybe we'll get lucky. Right. Amanda? <sighs> I'm going to predict that... Uh, things pretty much stay the same for the first, you know, quarter or half of the year. And then I think we're going to see some exits in the market. And I think that will actually be a good thing for the market because I think it's going to give some breathing space to the operators who are still here. So, yeah, I think this is the year where we see the necessary right sizing of things, you know, in the market coming. Yeah. And uh, my pronouncement, Pronostication is that we will uh, we will never have a, a lack of topics to discuss in this forum every every Thursday afternoon. So uh, let's leave it there. Uh, Amanda Brewer, Chris Abbott, uh, I can't can't thank you enough for for being with us for for a little over an hour uh, on this uh, first Thursday afternoon of 2024. Wish you both the very best uh, this year. As always, if you want to subscribe to the newsletter, have access to the podcast, go to gamingnewscanada.ca. I'll also mention that, um, you know, we are seeking presenting sponsors for both the newsletter and, and the LinkedIn audio show slash podcast. So the GEO Comply was with their presenting sponsorship was done with the newsletter at the end of 2023. And as I mentioned, extremely grateful to, to them. 
Um, Osler Hoskin and Harcourt LLP was our presenting sponsor for the podcast in the fall. And uh, we, th- we thank them for their support too. So if you're interested, if you're looking to promote your brand with, with the decision makers and in, in the Canadian gaming industry, um, please, uh, please reach out to me. Uh, thanks again to Amanda, Chris, everybody, please enjoy the rest of your week. Um, be safe out there on the roads. It looks like we might be getting a bit of nasty weather in the, in the Eastern part of Canada. And we will do this again on LinkedIn Audio next Thursday afternoon at 1 p.m. ET. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at GamingNewsCanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.